I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Christine Collins. Who was Christine Collins? Well, she was a woman whose son went missing in 1928. In a bizarre twist to the story, when her son was finally returned by the LAPD, she insisted that this boy was not her missing child. Today, we're going to chronicle this woman's 36-year-long quest to answer the questions, who kidnapped Walter Collins, and why did the LAPD try and cover it up? Where has my little boy gone? Christine Ida Collins was born on December 14th, 1888. She was married to Walter J.S. Collins, an ex-convict serving time for robbery. And in 1918, they had a son named Walter, born in September. On March 10th, 1928, Christine, a telephone operator, gave her son Walter a dime to see a movie at their local theater in Mount Washington, a suburb of LA. When Walter did not come back from the theater, Christine grew worried. When night came, she began visiting the houses of all of her son's friends to see if they knew where he was. LA was still reeling from the terror that stalked the city in December of 1927, William the Fox Hickman, who was arrested for kidnapping and mutilating children. When Christine went to the police to report her missing child, they began actively searching for young Walter. The LAPD stated the following on March 16th of 1928. This boy disappeared from his home about 5 p.m. in the evening of March 10th, 1928, and may be with a man described as being Italian, aged 35 to 40 years old, 5 feet 9 inches, weight about 160 pounds, wearing a dark gray suit and a dark gray slouch hat, rather soiled. This man may be driving a large sedan, color or make unknown, and may or may not have a car. He may or may not have been in the company of a woman being described as being very small. No description of clothing of the woman. It's possible that these people may be attempting to take the boy to San Francisco, or he may still be in Los Angeles. It is barely possible that the boy may be found in the streets selling papers. So wait a minute. He was kidnapped by Super Mario and Princess Peach? <laughs> it's a me, a friendly stranger with some candy. Oh, it's a me, get in my car. Definitely not gonna touch you. Get in my car. Hop on, it's a me. Hop on my go-kart. Woohoo! It's so funny too how like our cultural signifiers of minority individuals or people change like no one no police officer these days would write that he was a dude possibly italian yeah yeah like, yeah that wouldn't like it's just not a thing yeah that wouldn't be a fact like yeah his his ethnicity would not be a factor unless he was black or something like that otherwise you know just a white guy there used to be uh, there was a lot of people there was a lot of uh, ethnicities like Italians and Pol- and Polish people that were not considered white at a certain point around this time. And then they sort of like hopped the fence and like earned whitehood or whatever, which is a whole other fucked up conversation. Walter's father, Walter J.S. Collins, suggested the kidnapping could have been revenge against him, but this theory had no witnesses or proof. Well, I, I mean, I will say one thing, uh, and it's, it's funny because I just was talking about this. There was a meme that I saw in reference to season four of Stranger Things where, you know, in this show, I mean, in the show in general, not just this season, but there's, you know, there's all this crazy shit happening and the kids are just running around like riding their bikes outside and they're just, you know, there's like there's like people actively dying in this town and just like turning up dead bodies turning up and all this crazy shit shit happening and the parents are just like, all right, see you later. Like, just be back by curfew or whatever. And there was a meme that was just like, these these parents need to have like CPS called on them. Like, they're just letting their kids run around. There's there's like other kids being murdered and they're just like, whatever. Um, and I, I showed that to my wife and she was just like, yeah, it was it was like it was it, it was better back then. Like, it wasn't like today where people were as like freaked out about letting their kids go out and stuff like that. And. I was just like, I don't know if that's true. Like, there was a perception of that, but crime has been steadily decreasing o- over the time. Like, and in actuality, like crime hit us. We we talked about this in the in the video game com- Congress episode. Uh, that crime was at its peak in the 1980s, and then it's slowly been decreasing ever since. Um, and there's been a little bit of a spike now, which I I think is as a result of COVID and people just lo- losing their fucking minds. But 
other than that, like crime has been going down since the 80s. So I don't know if it's necessarily true that like it was safer back then. I think people just thought it was safer because there wasn't like a 24 hour news cycle that was just like constantly like freaking people out and like reinforcing scary shit. Um, but I, but just already just reading this story, it's like there's no way that I would just send like how, how old was Walter? He was how old was he at this time? He was born in 1918. So he was 10 years old. He was exactly almost exactly 10 years old. There's no way in hell I would send. I would be like, here, my 10 year old son, have some money to go down to the local movie theater. Like, I, like no way. Just hits different back then, man. And besides, they wouldn't have been like, here, have some money to go to the local movie theater. They were like, here you go, Bacao. Here's a here's a switch. Go beat the shit out of someone. Yeah, that that was a big that was a big uh, pastime in the in the twenties. It was just like you just walked around with your switch and you just like beat the shit out of people. Yeah, just assaulting people left and right. You know, they called it the salties. Ah, oh, Grandpappy, I'm just trying to go get some salties. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that yeah, that's just that's you know before they had before they had the Nintendo Switch, they had to make do with just a switch that they just beat the shit out of people with. That was actually the original idea for the Nintendo Switch. They were like, we're the Wii. All right, we've done what we've got to do with the Wii. We really like this integrated motion thing, so we're going to just like build the uh, the sensors into a switch and allow people to beat the shit out of anyone in the immediate vicinity yeah, they, while also playing games. Yeah, that was that was the whole thing cuz the Wii was a the Wii was a big hit and then the Wii U came out and it was a huge flop and it did not sell well. And so Shigeru Miyamoto was just like, "What if we just like what if we just like go back to the beginnings? When I was a kid, we used to do this thing called the salties where you just walked around outside and indiscriminately beat the shit out of people with a switch. So what if we do that? What if we just sell a switch and we just let kids go back to their roots?" Back to the old days, before all this technology. And they could just go around beating the shit out of people with a Switch. And the other executives at Nintendo were like, I like the name. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. nothing else about that. Um, Yeah, I mean, but but yeah, this I mean, this is this is my this is my worst nightmare. I'll, I'll tell a little story right here. So uh, we're talking about a 10-year-old boy being abducted out of nowhere. He just goes down to the local movie theater, never comes back. Absolute nightmare for a parent. I mean, that goes without saying. That's not like some novel thing. Um, But uh, I've I've been looking into this for a long time. And I, ever since, ever since my first son was born, Spay J the Sporth. You know, Spandrew, uh, normally I would say that you're embracing some kind of, you know, larger than life theatricality to mask something about you and your immediate family. You know, I would say, uh, you know, it feels like you're kind of employing Spayfabe, but you're not. I've seen Spade before, Sporf. Uh, and he has a fucking eye patch. He's a little well, kid I mean, look with a fucking eye patch running around. I mean, we got here's a uh, here's a uh, here's Spenix WK. Phoenix Bubba UK. Yeah. yeah, that that is a the you are <laughs> that is an amazing photo. <laughs> I mean, Phoenix it's so good. It's so good. Oh man, it's so good. Yeah, the kid. I love it. The kids just have like they have a they have a box full of like random costumes. Like just literally just like fucking hundreds of different costumes. And then they just like put together these random things. And sometimes they're like actual pre-made costumes. And sometimes it's just random stuff that they made. And he's so he's wearing he's wearing an eye patch. He has vampire teeth. He's got like a I don't even know what it is, but he's got something around his neck that looks like a some like a choker. He's just in his underwear. And then he's caked his face with like fake blood. And he's got green monster teeth. Yeah, and he's just like I and and he's and he's got one glove on, one black leather glove. That's if if that doesn't say Spayfabe, I don't know what does. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So so ever since my ever since my first son was born, I've always just been like, you know, kid, you know, people are scared of their kids getting abducted and stuff like that. Why can't we just microchip kids? You can microchip dogs. Why can't you just microchip? Like why why would why can't you just microchip your kid and then they they can't get kidnapped? Why don't we do that? And I was looking into it and I actually learned from that that you can't even actually microchip animals. The microchip that you put in animals, it's not a tracker. It's just a thing that like if you scan it, you can like get information out of it. Like I I was always under the impression that microchipping dogs, 
was like putting a thing in them that you could track them with. But that's not what a microchip is. It's just a thing where if you scan it, it'll tell you it'll tell you like this dog belongs to mm. Tabitha Winois. And then again, then it has like a phone number or whatever. <laughs> and you can call the phone number. But the an, uh, the ability to like actually track somebody like with a GPS or like whatever, that's not that doesn't exist. You can't just put a microchip inside of somebody. And, I, and I've always been like, I've, I've been looking in, I've always looked into it and there really hadn't been any like technology for doing this. There, there was this, these things called tiles, which are these little trackers, but they were like really kind of big and like you're supposed to just like put them in their pocket. And I was always kind of like, I, I feel like, I feel like a kid would just lose that really easily. But, bef- but before we went on our, we, we recently went on a trip to Europe and I was just like, I got to figure out something. I'm going to, I'm going to be way too like paranoid if we don't figure out some way to do this. And so I I found these things called Apple AirTags and they're these little tiny circular things and they're trackers. You can you can track them anywhere in the world with your phone and you can see exactly where they are. And then whenever you get within 10 feet of them, then you can like specifically track right where they go, right, right where they are using Bluetooth. And so and then they have all these different accessories for like things you can put them in, like you can put them in a keychain so you can keep track of your keys and all these things like that. So I found these things that are like these little clip things where the, the, the air tag goes into it and then you can like take this thing and you can like clip it onto the inside of like a sh- like clothes or something like that. So I got a bunch of these things and the whole time we were in we were in uh, Europe, both of my kids just had these things clipped onto the inside of their underwear and then they were wearing and then I had a second one for each of them. That I that they were wearing as a wristband, so it was like a little wristband that had the thing in it. And the reason why was because I basically reasoned that if they got kidnapped, the kidnapper might check them for tracking devices, and they would find the one on their wrist and be like, "Oh, here's a tracking device," and then throw it away. And then they wouldn't think to check again for more. And then there's one on the inside of their underwear, and that was that was the only way I could feel comfortable going to Europe and walking around outside and all these different places. So this so this is already just horrifying to me. Just the, the idea of just like letting your kid just go off and then they just never come back. It's fucking horrifying to me. Do you, so did for the for Apple AirTags, like I, I know that they exist as a product, but I've never actually like used them. Did they just show up on your like Find My iPhone app or did you, do you have to get a separate app for? No, yeah, it, it works through Find My. So like got Find My Phone here and, you know, it'll it'll tell me it tells me where my computer is, which is like my computer's right in front of me, obviously. But then, and it's like, you know, devices, like you can see right there, it's telling you that my phone and my computer are at this location. But then if you go over to items, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I've got eight air tags and that, and they're, they're all right. They're all right there. And as you can see, they all currently say with you or, or they say zero miles. Oh my God. <laughs> they actually do say J the fourth Phoenix. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh my god. So I so I named I mean I don't I don't know if the, I don't know if you know this about me, Dave. This is my this might be a, an aspect of my personality that I've just never revealed to you, but I am I am a conspiracy theorist about like safety. Like I am I am like when I'm in a movie theater, I've already like mapped out an escape route if something if some shit goes down. Like I'm just like if we're in a movie theater together and you want to live like just stay with me because I've already created a escape route in my mind. I know exactly what I'm doing. If somebody like fucking pulls out a gun or something like that, I know exactly where I'm going. I've calculated all of the probabilities of like where it would, it would be best to go and like what, what the smartest moves would be to make. And, and that's, and so all of the air tags, I, when I got them, you can like label them and you can say like, Oh, these are keys. These are, this is a backpack this is a wallet or whatever. But when I was naming, when I was activating them, I was like, why would you, why would you name the AirTag the thing that it is? Because then if somebody was able to like get a hold of your phone or like they were able to like, like detect the devices on their phone or whatever, then you basically are advertising where all your most valuable items are. So instead I gave them all code names that, that I, I know what they are, but they're not like what that, that nobody would read these and like understand what they are. So instead of instead of just naming them like keys, wallet, they have like one of them. One of them was named Silver Snake and one of them is named Red Jaguar. But the ones that I got for my kids, they're just they're named, you know, Spay J Spice and Spenix WK Spice because nobody's going to fucking know what that means. Like unless like 
Unless no, they will, they will if they listen to our show. Unless that's, a, that's unless a the, deep cuts listener kidnaps one of my kids. I mean, you say that, but yeah. a deep cuts listener murdered the previous co-host of this show. You're, so you're absolutely right. You're, ab- you're now that I'm saying it, you're a hundred percent right. In fact, it would it would likely be an obsessed listener that would kidnap one of my kids. That's like the most likely scenario. Uh, but yeah, they have all they have they have they all have code names because I was like, why would you name them things that would actually let somebody know what that like you're basically just creating like a way for somebody to just like be d- directed like you're, you're creating like a way for a thief to like be directed right to your most valuable items via app. However, shortly after in August, the LAPD came through for the family and announced they had located young Walter. He had been in Illinois, but they rescued him and everything was OK again. This was a huge win, not only for the Collins, but for the LAPD as well who really needed a big heroic win. They had recently been suffering a lot of bad press, rampant corruption and botched cases routinely running in several of LA's local papers. In a big triumphant PR stunt, the cops returned young Walter to the family in front of a crowd in downtown LA. Everyone cheered as mother was reunited with son. The LAPD proudly beamed over their accomplishment. However, as Walter ran up to his mother, the smile slowly faded from her face and she uttered the following statement. I don't think that's my son. Act 2. A changeling is in our midst. In European folklore, a changeling is when the fey folk would steal a child and replace it with a human-like creature in return, and Christine firmly believed that the child given to her was not her own, though the police said she should try him out for a few weeks. (laughs) That's so fucked. That's so fucked. This is a good opportunity to talk about this. So, um, did did you know about this story prior to this episode? Yeah, I uh, I've, I think I've seen a couple like internet explainers about it. And also I remember the movie that got made with Angelina Jolie written by uh, Jake J. Michael Straczynski, writer of Amazing Spider-Man, Midnight, Midnight Sun, Midnight Nation, whatever the hell that book was called. And uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, the writer, the writer of multiple uh, before Watchmen spinoffs, that classy guy. And directed by Clint Eastwood, who also did a run on before Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big fan of uh, of Ke- of of Clint Eastwood's Dollar Bill miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So I I knew about this story from that movie, which is called which is called Changeling. Um. And I watched I watched Changeling on video when it came out, whatever that time was. It was like two thousand eight or nine or something like that. Um. And the the interesting thing about the story and they even kind of say it it's it's kind of used as a selling point in the marketing of the movie because we had watched like we had the DVD and we were watching some of the bonus features and there was like a behind the scenes making featurette and one of the things they talk about in the featurette which i think is true is that the story is so unbelievable that if you don't know it's true and you watch the movie you would think that it was a ridiculous premise for a movie and and it and it kind of is it kind of the movie is weird because the story is so outlandish that as a film it kind of just feels dumb like it's just like it, it, like something about it in your like your mind can't like wrap itself around it and you just think like this is absurd. Like this is just this is such an over the top premise for a movie. Even kind of even knowing that it's true, it's still you watch the movie and you're just like this is this this is too absurd. Like I can't I can't like believe it's not believable. Um, and I, I think that's I think that is accurate. I think I think the story is so ridiculous that it's almost unbelievable to the point where you kind of can't like you're just like yeah there's no way this fucking happened this is fake this isn't real um but it yeah it's 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 true and I, and as we as we get into this like the story gets even crazier from here but um but that was my that was my first exposure to the story was watching the movie and kind of thinking like this story is so ridiculous that i can't even like get into this movie yeah there's like a there's like an emotional barrier to entry almost because it's just such an outlandish like the idea of the story prevents you from buying into the story by its very nature. Yeah, because it's like, you know, it's basically like imagine watching a movie where just like every second some random out of nowhere thing happens to like raise the stakes. 
like you're watching a movie and it's like about a guy who's like struggling with you just got got broken up with and he's like struggling with loneliness and he's trying to get this girl back or whatever and he's trying to like win her back and show her that he's changed or whatever and then it's like out of nowhere it's just like and then godzilla attacks the city and he's like i gotta fight godzilla and then he's fighting godzilla and then like he's almost beating godzilla but then there's an alien invasion and then like then he's got to fight the aliens and like the stakes being like raised so like arbitrarily takes it it, it it like takes the drama out of it because you're just like oh this isn't this isn't believable like there's no like like this is just insane this is just like chaos and that's kind of how this story is where it's just like as it goes on as as we're going to get into the story the shit that happens to this woman is so progressively ridiculous and awful that it almost feels like an exploitation film where it's like how brutalized can one woman be yeah and it it <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't feel real after like the second level. Yeah, you're just like, mm, come on, guys. I know you want to make something dramatic, but mm, come on. And it, it kind of reminds me of I was. You ever did you watch that uh, that Amazon Prime show um, that was an adaptation of a comic that what was what was it called the the show about the Nazi hunters? Yeah, you're talking about hunters. Yeah, hunters. Yeah, with 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 uh with al pacino and josh radner the guy from how i met your mother um and there's there's a there was a there was a highly controversial scene in that show where one of the episodes starts out flashing back to uh a concentration camp during during uh in nazi germany during world war ii and the nazi officers are are playing a game of human chess with the with the Jews, where there's a giant chessboard, and these concentration camp prisoners are the pieces, and they're basically playing chess for their life. Where there's one person on each side um, that's playing the chess, so it's it's a Nazi officer against a Jewish prisoner, and they're moving the pieces, and they're playing for their life. So if she if this character loses, then they all get killed. Um, but if but if they win, then the Jews that the Nazi officer is using to play will die. So it's like a lose lose, like no matter what people are dying. And it was it was heavily criticized because it was not a real thing that ever happened. It was literally something that the writer came up with. And people were saying, like, this is this is like this is kind of exploitative in a really gross way. Like you're just like coming up with scenarios of Jewish people being like horribly brutalized in a really exploitative way. Like if this if this was a real thing that actually happened, then like fine. But the fact that you came up with this is kind of sick. And that was that was kind of the the criticism that I got. And I read an article about it um, that was criticizing it from this perspective. And they were they were referencing a story uh, by a feminist writer in the in the 1930s or 20s. And basically this I, I forget exactly. I don't remember what the name of the story was or the, the people involved. But there was this writer, this male writer who had written a, a book that involved uh, a rape scene and there was this feminist writer who wrote a short story where in the short story she goes to the house of the writer and like takes him hostage and like holds him at gun at knife point and she tells him like if that if that scene in your book really happened in real life then i'll let you go but if you created that scene out of your imagination then i'm gonna kill you and it was like the it was like a criticism of this idea of like exploiting pain uh and and human trauma for for entertainment essentially um and uh this is this is kind of what it reminds me of where this film is so cruel to this to this woman that angelina jolie plays that if it was not true it would be it would just be a it would be a cruel piece of of entertainment a cruel and cynical piece of entertainment that is just like delighting in the pain and trauma of a of a woman um but it's fucking true yeah if if it's not true it feels like all right so we're gonna make that fincher movie the game but we're gonna cross it with saw but it's gonna be about like child exploitation and also police corruption and you're just like i feel like that's like too many things Can and we then just like and then also just like the the systematic gaslighting of a of a woman to the point where as we'll get into just the lengths that they go to cover up the fact that this boy is not her son all right, so we have a picture here of 
two two children, and one of them is Walter Collins, Christine Collins' son, and the other child is the child that was returned to Christine Collins by the LAPD. Uh, and so the real the real Walter Collins is on the left. This little kid with this like little tie kind of he's like wearing like a like a collared shirt and then like a, a little weird. It's like a little bolo tie or like a little kerchief or something. Um, and then there's a kid on the right that is the kid that was returned to her. So what do you think, Dave? Do, do these kids look like the same kid or do you think these are different? Do you think these are different children? Well, the one on the left uh, has a very slender nose, uh, very kind of symmetrical, thin, waspy features, dark hair heavy parted to the side um kind of uh very uh almost kind of um innocent looking eyes um and uh kind of almost like straight or flat eyebrows um he also has very angular features uh the kid on the right his ears are higher up on his head his eyebrows are a different shape they're more arched his eyes appear more um uh they're they've got this kind of a different shape to them they're they're more angular as opposed to the rounded shape that the other kids eyes are but his features are mm, a little bit rounder his nose isn't quite as harsh his lips are thinner his chin is smaller and his face is a little bit wider um like they're they're definitely not the same people like they're, they're definitely just not the same people but they're also not that far off like i if I didn't know who this was, I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. That I get like if you had just told me these were the same person, especially because the photos in one of them, he's looking straight on and one of them, it's profile. I would have been like, yeah, sure. All right. Whatever. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're they generically look similar in in as far as they are young boys um, that just like broadly like on paper, they are the same, but they're but they're not like the same person. Like if you were if you wrote down a description of this kid, it would be 10 year old white kid that in that then in that in that sense they fit the description but you know like as you said they're 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 different enough that you can tell that they're not the same kid christine returned to the lapd with her son's dental records and statements from people who knew walter demanding to give back the false child to the police jj jones the captain in charge of the collins case told christine what are you trying to do make fools of us all are you trying to shrink your duty as a mother and have the state provide for your son are you the most cruel hearted woman i've ever known are you a fool? Are you insane? And you're insane and ought to be in a madhouse. You're under arrest and I'm going to send you to the psychiatric ward. Captain Jones ordered Christine Collins to the psychiatric ward of the L.A. County General Hospital for a week. So, so basically, um, the they, they, they reunite this kid with Christine and she's immediately like, this is not him. But because this was done in such a public way and because it was this big like PR win, for the LAPD, which, you know, if you don't know at this time, I mean, not that this is not true now, but at this time in the 19 in the mid 20s, going into the 30s, there was this huge reckoning for the massive problem of police corruption in the in the United States. Like, like I said, not that it's not this way now, but police forces in the 20s were just like inextricably intermingled with the mafia. And it, they were they were incredibly corrupt. And uh, people started getting sick of it and there started to be this huge backlash against the cor police corruption, essentially. And, you know, in the 1930s, the, uh, the 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 NYPD and the LAPD and a lot of other of the big like metropolitan police forces were like heavily reformed. Um, but this was when they were just like in the midst of their just like backlash and really they, they had a really poor reputation with the public which is which is kind of sad because it's like people are just such cucks for the cops now that there's like there's so much corruption in the police but they they have like they just have like unconditional blind support by such a large part of the population but back in the 20s like people were not down with that they were like no fuck you like you guys are corrupt as hell and we are not going to stand for it like there was there was a united public backlash to the police corruption that just seemingly doesn't exist today. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the the but this was a huge win for them. They 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 basically latched onto this as an opportunity to get some good PR. Um, to the point where like they basically just like found a kid. Like they they knew that this woman was like looking for her son, and they found a missing child, and they basically were like, "This must be him." Like they just kind of like made that connection. 
And, you know, they could have been right. Like, you know, the contrary to. Yeah, what's, what are the odds? What are the odds? There's a missing kid? It's got to be the kid, right? Well, what are the odds? What are the odds? This is a kid, right? Contrary to popular belief, child abduction is not common. So there actually was a decent sized chance that this could have been Walter. Like they found they found a missing child and there was a decent sized chance that it was Walter, uh, but it was not. It was some other it was some other kid. Um, and the but but they had gone they had gone so far past the point of no return of this being a PR campaign and a PR stunt that they basically already claimed credit for that when Christine was like, this isn't him. They there was that wasn't an option. That wasn't that wasn't a fucking option for the LAPD. So instead of admitting that they found the wrong kid, they decided to launch one of the most public, massive gaslighting campaigns of a specific person in history. And they basically told her, yes, it is. This is your son. What are you talking about? And they basically told her she was crazy and that she was like imagining that it wasn't her son and that she lost her mind. Um, And the movie kind of plays with the ambiguity of that where, you know, in theory, you could be in have lost your mind and like you don't recognize your own son or whatever. Like that's something that could happen. Like uh, facial dysphoria uh, is a condition where you just like are unable to recognize faces anymore and you could like look at somebody that you know and you just can't recognize them like that's a real that's a real condition that a real psychological condition that some people have so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could have found walter and brought her back and then christine was like traumatized from having lost her son and it like drove her insane and then she just like couldn't recognize and she became paranoid that he was like a uh, an imposter. And so they decided to go with that. And they basically were just like, nope, this is Walter. You're you're you've lost your mind. You're seeing things. You're imagining things. This is not I mean, an imposter. This is your son. And you are just crazy. And they were like literally printing this in the paper. They were just like local woman loses her mind and can't recognize her own son. They launched a smear campaign against this specific woman and it went so far where basically like at first Christine kind of like was like, OK, maybe maybe you're right. Like she tried to like convince herself that it was her was Walter, which is like understandable. Your son goes missing and then you have that brief that brief relief that they found him like, oh, my God. Oh, thank God. They found him. They found him. And then you and then you see him and it's not him. Like I, you're just like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Wait, this kid has red hair. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's my son. It's totally my son. Wait, this kid, this kid has one foot. Nah, it's fuck it. It's my, it's my son. It's my son. Wait, hold on a second. This isn't a child. This is a scarecrow. No, it's my son. It's my son. It's great. It's great. Wait, this isn't a scarecrow. This is just a pillow sack with a bunch of almonds in it. What is this? I mean, you you joke, but like that's not far off from literally there's another story similar to this. Um, and it was it was uh, the story was told in this documentary called The Imposter. And it's not far off from literally what you're what you're joking about. Uh, it, it's it's very similar to the story uh, in the in the in the in the uh, the, the the late 80s or the early 90s. Um, a boy went missing. He was about eight or 10 or something like that. Um, and then uh, a, a few years later, um, what was believed to be this boy was found in France. I think this was this was this was an American family, like a, like a, somewhere in the suburbs, and they found this boy in France. And they were like, he must have gotten ad- abducted and trafficked or something like that. But he we he he turned up in France, and they brought him back to the United States, and they brought him to the family. And this boy, when he went missing, he was like eight or ten or something like that. And this was like five years later, so he should have been like fifteen or something. But what was returned to them was very clearly a guy in his mid twenties who was French. <laughs> And this was not their son at all, but they were they so wanted to believe that 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 he had been found that they kind of like just told themselves that he was it was like it was like a weird it was like a grief kayfabe where they were just like, yes, this is our son. And they like welcomed him into the family and they and they they there was all these rationalizations for all the things like, oh, he looks older because he's traumatized and like just being kidnapped and all the horrible things that happened to him just caused him to age. And the reason why he has a French accent 
is because he was like living in France and he had to adapt to the culture and like he just had to he just like blended in and then he just uh uh he just like a uh developed a, an accent or whatever but what in reality it was like this con artist guy this like homeless con artist who got arrested by the police and they were like who are you what are you doing and he like saw, he like saw a story in a newspaper about a missing american kid and he was just like i'm the, i'm him and and somehow just scammed his way into getting taken to the Amer- to the united states to live with his family instead of being arrested and put in jail um and this is kind of that except for it's not that the kid was like a, a con artist like that it was that the police were just like this is him like you're fucking insane you've lost your mind this is the kid and i so so i kind of can't blame christine for like briefly kind of trying to convince herself that it was Walter kind of in the same as the family and the imposter did where they were just, they were so in grief about losing their child. And this was such an opportunity to be relieved of that grief and for everything to have been okay all along that they just like gaslit themselves into believing that this 25 year old French guy was their son. Um, that I, I, I can't blame Christine for being like, maybe this is Walter. Yeah, it, it's it's Walter. Yeah, I'm just I'm being silly. This is Walter. And so she kind of did that. And she took the kid home and she was like she lived with him for a couple of days, but she just couldn't get the thought out of her mind that this was not him. So finally, she just was like, no, this is not my son. This is this is an imposter. It's not my son. So she goes to tell the police and they basically were like, no, it is your son. You're insane. And Christine decided to basically like fight back. And she she brought dental records to prove that it wasn't him. And she brought she brought all this evidence. And and at first it was just her word against the police. And they basically like painted her to be insane. But once she started bring, bringing evidence, the police basically realized that she was a threat and that she she was threatening to basically embarrass them and make them look like fools. So they literally had her committed to a, to a psychiatric ward. She she was forcibly committed to a psychiatric ward and like clinically diagnosed as being like schizophrenic because because of because they gave her the wrong kid. You know, that old classic. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if you watch that movie, it's not believable. It's like this is a like whoever wrote this script. Like did, <laughs> did you ever see that movie Law-abiding Citizen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people liked that movie, but that movie... They're making a sequel. They're making Law-Abiding Citizen 2. Yeah, that movie is fucking ridiculous. It, and it's it's ridiculous and unbelievable in the way that I'm talking about, where, like, at every step of the way, it's like, I am just so in control that I'm one step ahead of you at all times. And every turn is like, somehow the stakes are escalated even higher. And somehow Gerard Butler has gotten ahead of them and somehow he has like arranged all of this crazy shit to play out. And it's just like the whole movie is just like a blueprint for some plan that he's devised. And at a certain point, you're just like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, this is not believable. How Like, it, it, it's so over the top that it like, at least for me, it kind of desensitizes you to where you're just like, I'm no longer impressed by this crazy shit because it's like there's no we're, we're just we're we're out of the realm of realm of reality right now. This, this could never happen. This is not believable at all. And at a certain point, it's just like, it's just like fucking noise. You're just like, yeah. And then they're going to turn around and some crazy shit's going to happen or whatever. And that's what this movie feels like. It's like, it's like every turn of it is like, it's like some sicko just like trying to come up with the, like the craziest way to put a, like a woman through like horrible abuse and torture on screen, but the whole thing actually happened, and the 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 whole the thing I and kept- the, the reason and the reason for it is even weirder. Like the the reason why this kid shows shows up in her life is just like bizarre. Like that's the reason. Yeah, and the whole the the thing I just kept thinking when I when I watched this movie because I watched this movie with a group of friends at at somebody's house one time. And I just kept thinking, like, I, I knew that it was true, a true story going into it. And I just kept thinking, like, man, like, the the, the 20s were fucked up. <laughs> like, shit was just so bleak in the 20s that this just feels unrealistic. The child eventually admitted that his identity was Arthur Hutchins, who also went by the alias Billy Fields, a 12-year-old runaway from Illinois 
who ran away from home to see Los Angeles and meet the cowboy star Tom Mix. Um, and here's here's a note, a confession written by the fake Walter, a.k.a. Arthur Hutchins. Do you want to read that, Dave? It's it's like a it's a it's a photograph of a handwritten note by this kid. I am not Walter Collins. My name is Billy Fields. I said I was Walter Collins because I wanted to get into the movies in Hollywood. Billy Fields. So just think about all of the shit that's converged to make this happen. This woman's child goes missing, freak accident, a freak abduction. Then the the police happen to find this kid and they're sort of like they're operating under this confirmation bias because they're gunning for a win. So they find a kid and they're just like, odds are this is Walter, this missing kid, because like, who the fuck else would it be? And then for this third element to come into play that like any most any kid would just be like, I'm not him. I'm a different person. Like nine times out of 10, you go up to a random kid on the streets and you're like, are you Walter Collins? They're like, no, my name is Billy Fields. But this kid just so happened to like have been a runaway who wanted to go to L.A. to be in the movies. So when they asked him if he was a different person in his mind, he was like, oh, yeah, in in L.A., people play characters. And like, if you want to be on the big screen, you got to like play a character and be somebody else. So when these L.A. cops ask me who I am, if I'm Walter Collins, like, yes, I am Walter Collins. He thinks he's like acting. He thinks he's like playing a character to be in a movie that those three things had to happen in order for this event to play out and for this woman to be like so horribly gaslit by society is just like I, I keep saying this, but it's unbelievable. Um, And so we also have this picture here and this. I've seen this picture before. This this picture was, I think, in the making of featurette of this movie. But this picture it's is so weird. Very, well, it's 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 very weird, but so weird. It's it's very. If you know the story behind this, this picture is really sad and really dark. So do you you want to describe this picture, Dave? Yeah, basically, it's it's Christine and Billy Fields posing for photos. Billy has this kind of like impish smile, looking at camera like, "And this is my big moment." And uh, Christine is has her arms around him and uh, the finger, her fingers are interlaced around his waist. She's sitting in a chair and he's standing next to her. And she's like looking at camera with just a kind of like, what the fuck is going on <laughs> expression? <laughs> like, she's kind of like, uh, what? Well, th- th- this is this is the movie moment, right? This is like this is the this is the picture that like gave somebody the idea to make this movie where it's like this is the moment where she's reunited with her son and she should be the happiest she ever has been in her entire life. But in this picture, just on her face, you just see this like this isn't right. Like you you, you the whole story is just on her face. She should be she should have a beaming smile and be just on cloud nine. But she just has this indifferent, kind of confused, kind of like crestfallen, kind of like almost in in shock or in disbelief look on her face. And when you know the story behind this, it's just so sad because you just see this this woman who's just like she's actively questioning her reality and she should be so happy. And yet, like, no, it's not right. And she's like she's she's just questioning her, questioning her own sanity in the moment. And it's all in this picture. It's really, it's really, really sad and surreal as well, because once again, it just feels unreal like this. This picture like, you know how you know how you, you see that the Doors movie, right? Like in the Doors movie, they have the scene where they recreate the moment when the Doors perform on Ed Sullivan and they tell the the, the production team tells Jim Morrison that he can't say, um, girl, you couldn't get baby. Oh, yeah, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Yeah. And they, they say, like, you can't say that. And so in the movie, they they have that whole thing. They tell him, like, you can't say that. And then he gets up on stage and they perform and it's Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. And when he gets to that line, he looks into the camera and he goes, he goes, girl, you couldn't get much higher. He like emphasizes higher and he looks directly into the camera and says it. And it's like this really like he's really just like saying fuck you to the producers. But in real life, if you actually watch the clip, he doesn't do that. He just sings the song normally. There's no emphasis. He doesn't look into the camera. He just says higher. Like he he did break the rules and go against what they said on purpose, but he doesn't do it in, in a cinematic way. He just he just says it. And they and they 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 um they embellished it for the movie, obviously. Our our boy Oliver Stone. Um What no. Um this this picture looks like that. This picture looks like the cinematic recreation where they've embellished the the 
the the shock and dismay on her face being reunited with her fake son but it's the real picture it it's it's mind-blowing it's mind-blowing how this story is so crazy and unbelievable that every aspect of it feels like a fake movie after the hospital released Christine, she sued the city for false imprisonment and won a $10,800 settlement, which is $160,000 in today's money. However, Captain Jones never paid, and she would have had to continue to bring him to court for decades to receive the payment. The LAPD briefly suspended Jones, but later permanently reinstated him. So this was like a weird personal campaign against Christine by the LAPD, yes, but specifically this this guy, this the uh Captain Jones. Um, and he in the movie, he's played by that guy who um, he's in Burn Notice and season two of Fargo. Oh, yeah. What the fuck is that guy's name? Um, fuck. Hold on. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan. Yeah, he plays Captain Jones and he's like perfect for it in the movie because he just he, he plays that just perfect amount of just like this this arrogant, smug asshole uh, who just gaslights Angelina Jolie's character with his just like smugness and self-assurance. Um, but it, it, this, this this thing was kind of like a personal campaign ag- against her by this guy. Like if, if it wasn't for this, for Captain Jones specifically, like the LAPD would not have gone as hard on this. They wouldn't have gone to the lengths of getting her committed to a psychiatric ward. But it was this specific guy who, for some reason in his mind, he was like, I've got like this win. We need this. I've we've got to push this through. We can't give up. We have to take this win. And so he made it like a personal vendetta or he made it a personal campaign to discredit Christine and call her crazy so that the LAPD could claim credit for this for this rescue. Um, but then while she was in the psychiatric ward, they basically assessed her and they were like, she's perfectly sane. She's not crazy. And so they let her out and they were just like, yeah, you guys fucked up. Like, the, like literally the, the people at this psychiatric ward, the doctors were like, you guys fucked up. This lady's fine. Like, what are you talking about? And so they couldn't like deny it anymore. So it came out that they, that the whole thing was bullshit and that the LAPD was wrong and they wrongfully, wrongfully imprisoned her. And um, so you're at this point where this one specific guy lied and said that they recovered this guy's this woman's son. Whenever she told him that it was not her son, he kept lying. And not only did he keep lying, but he also accused this woman of being crazy in order to keep the lie up and then went so far as to have her committed an innocent woman committed to a psychiatric hospital. And after all of that, they briefly suspended him and then reinstated reinstated him. And honestly, like, I don't even think that's un. I don't even think that's I don't even think that wouldn't happen now. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's so but it's just so it's because like, in my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's fucked like he's fired. Like this is this is he's like in my mind, if I did something like this career ending move, I would be fucked. And yet you see people get away with this shit all the time. And it's mind blowing to me. And I think it's just because I, I do not have the arrogance to smile through horrible acts. Like I, I just don't, I don't have the confidence to have done something that terrible and then just like insist on my own, uh, my own justification. I, I just, I couldn't do it. And I think, I think that's, that's it. Some people are just so confident that they can just trick people into letting, giving them a pass for horrible behavior. The LAPD returned Arthur to his father and stepmother in Illinois. They then sent him to Iowa State Training School for Boys, a rehabilitation program for juvenile delinquents. He later claimed in 1933 that he ran away and impersonated Walter to escape his stepmother, stating, A person doesn't realize what a hell this world can be at the hands of a stepmother that doesn't love you or want you. Later in life, Arthur worked jobs selling concessions at carnivals before dying of a blood clot in 1954 at the age of 38. Despite winning the lawsuit against the LAPD, Christine Collins continued her search for her son, and the following stages would lead to further devastating consequences. So let's just lay that. Let's 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 recap for a second. So far, we have this woman. Her son was kidnapped. The LAPD erroneously reunited her with what was supposed to be her son, but was actually some other random kid. When she said it wasn't her son, they gaslit her and told her she was insane all the way to the point where she was committed to a psychiatric ward. She was let out. It was revealed that they were lying. The, the son was taken back and reunited with his parents. And that's not it. There's more. There's there's more to this story for this poor, poor woman, Christine Collins.
Act 3, The Chicken Coop Murders. In their search to find who kidnapped Walter Collins, the LAPD was led to a farm in Winesville, California, by a Canadian woman named Jessie Clark. Jessie traveled from British Columbia to check on her 11-year-old younger brother, Stanford Clark. Stanford moved to California to work on the ranch for his uncle, Gordon Stewart Northcott, and his mother, Sarah Louise. When Jessie visited the farm, Stanford admitted that Gordon was physically and sexually abusing him and that he had murdered several children on his ranch. When Jessie returned to Canada a week later, she reported to the American consulate, which informed the LAPD. Due to the fact that Gordon and Stanford were Canadian citizens, the United States Immigration Service had to be involved in managing this criminal case. On August 31st, 1928, immigration officers Judson F. Shaw and George... D- that that's a, that's a fucking hell of a name. Judson F. Shaw. Judson F. Shaw and George W. Scalorn visited the ranch and took Stanford into custody. Gordon told Clark to stall the immigration officers under the threat that he would shoot him if he did not. Once Stanford was under their protection, he disclosed Gordon's whereabouts to the officers. On September 19, 1928, the Canadian police found Gordon and his mother, and they were extradited to California. Stanford Clark testified that Gordon, his mother, and himself kidnapped, molested, beat, and killed three young boys and attempted to murder a fourth victim. Clark stated that he was forced to dispose of one of the victim's heads in a fire pit. When the police excavated the farm, they found several shallow graves that contained 51 parts of human anatomy. The LAPD concluded that the other victims were Walter Collins, Lewis, and Nelson Winslow, aged 12 and 10, and an unidentified fourth victim of Mexican nationality. Gordon may have killed as many as 20 people. The state could not support that claim and only brought in indictments on Lewis and Nelson Winslow and the unidentified Mexican national. After their arrest, Sarah Louise pled guilty to charges, but more importantly, to the abduction and murder of Walter Collins. The court sentenced her to life imprisonment. During her sentencing, she made various claims about Gordon's childhood. He was the illegitimate son of an English nobleman, or the result of incest between her husband, Cyrus George Northcott, and their daughter, or his family sexually abused him. She attempted suicide after being sentenced and requested to be executed along with him. She served her sentence in Tehachapi State Prison, but was paroled after less than 12 years and died in 1944. So after all of this has happened to Christine Collins, after all of that, to then find out that the entire time her son was abducted and fucking brutally murdered by a a child serial killer. Like, Jesus it's it's, Christ. It's just unfathomably traumatic. Like, it's so dark. Like, I can't imagine losing a child, but I doubly cannot imagine losing a child having all this stuff happen to you and then you're like just fighting to get back to normal where your normal is filled with grief because your child is missing and then you find out that a child serial killer and his mom molested and murdered your son that's just like (sighs) and that that alone is unfathomable fathomable like just that happened like your son disappearing and never seeing him again unfathomable amount of fucking grief Finding out after the fact, eventually, that he was murdered by a killer. Just beyond words how terrible that would be. But the biggest insult of what the LAPD and Captain Jones did is within that unfathomable, terrible, beyond description event that happened to Christine Collins, they briefly gave her a glimmer of hope that did not exist and then gave her the added grief and trauma of this extended gaslighting campaign. So in the middle of this, like she would have found her either either she would have never heard from her son again with his which is horrible or she would eventually have found out that he was murdered. Both terrible. Uh, something you never want to experience in your entire life. But on top of that, she also had to experience and go through this other horribly traumatic event where she thought that her son was found and then was like painted to be crazy by the fucking LAPD. Like this is that, that that's what I I keep saying it but it's so unbelievable cuz it's like you can't even, you can't even imagine that one person would be subjected to this amount of trauma in one lifetime. It's just you can't even it's you can't even process it. It's uh it's it's like you said it's it's un yeah, it's unprocessable. It's like it's just it's so sad. It's so fucking sad. Yeah, it's just like the, the, it was it was a real life moment written by the screenwriter of Law Abiding Citizen. Someone someone who thinks that a compelling plot is just escalating the stakes of one thing higher and higher until eventually it just becomes unrealistic to the point where you're desensitized to it. Yeah, there was somebody behind the scenes that was like, yeah, let's a uh, law abiding serial killer m- child murderer psychiatric facility changeling 
this woman. Does that sound good? Everybody, everybody in agreement on this one? Sick. And Angelina Jolie's gonna play a flapper. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. That's not my fucking kid. Yeah, the, I mean that was the tra- I don't know if you remember this, but that actually was the trailer for the Changeling when or Changeling the Changeling is the horror movie. It's just, Changeling the it's just her yeah, saying that. Well, no, it's like a slowed down like hello, oh yeah, my the baby, Jor- Jordan Peele hello, style. Darling, hello, my ragtime gal. While Gordon's mother implicated Gordon in the death of Walter Collins, the state never prosecuted him. Christine sat down with Gordon to see if he had killed her son upon learning about the arrest. She concluded that he was insane because he did not know whether he had met Walter or had killed him. Before Gordon's execution, he sent her a telegram stating that he had lied to her about not knowing if Walter was one of his victims and that if she visited him, he would tell her the full truth. Gordon spurned Christine upon her arrival. The media at the time reported that Christine was outraged by Northcott's conduct, but also comforted by it. Northcott's ambiguous replies and his seeming refusal to remember such details as Walter's clothing and the color of his eyes gave her continued hope that her son lived. Christine Collins continued to fight to get her settlement from Captain Jones for her treatment, and when the court ruled again in her favor in 1941, allowing her to collect $15,562, he continued to reject paying. Christine stated that the court case was not about the money and rejected the LAPD's belief that Gordon Northcott had murdered her son. She continued to fight to find her son until her death in 1964, but she never found him. The case of Walter Collins remains unsolved, and experts still today debate whether Gordon Northcott was genuinely responsible for the abduction and murder of Walter Collins, or if it was a rush of judgment by the LAPD. I I, I know I'm just beating a dead horse or just like beating a drum here. Um, but I, I, I think this is the reason why I keep repeating this is because this is really what strikes me about this story. And I think is what is it's it's what I what I keep talking about when I say it's unbelievable to this ridiculous degree. Um, and I think the movie kind of the, the movie kind of captures this pretty well, because did you did you say you saw the movie? Did you see the movie? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Yes. I don't remember much of it other than like, you know, the hell of my baby trailer yeah yeah that was i mean that was super memorable when that real trailer definitely actually came out um i but i i think the thing that the movie does kind of well i got i don't know if i thought the movie was good or not i kind of don't remember like i'd have to watch it again to know if i even thought it was a good movie but w- one thing i do remember i think that the movie did well was to portray the ambiguity in this story because it never it's kind of written with it, it, it's kind of written almost from the perspective of like an objective, unreliable narrator where it never fully the narrative of the movie never fully kind of like uh, it remains opaque about the reality of the situation. It it, it kind of leaves a lot of things amb- ambiguous to the point where the, it, it doesn't fully confirm whether maybe Christine Collins is insane and maybe that was her son. And she really did just have facial blindness and just had convinced herself that it wasn't Walter and rejected him. And then it kind of reveals the whole thing about the about him getting kidnapped by by the Northcots and potentially killed. But it kind of presents that almost as if like it's just a possibility, like a story that somebody's claiming that's not substantiated. So the movie kind of like presents everything in this very ambiguous way where you just never really get a definitive sense of what actually happened. Um, and, you know, I think they they kind of do that on purpose, similar to the way they, they do that in the in the, the Zodiac movie uh, where they they portray the ambiguity of like you never fully know who the Zodiac killer is. And it's maybe that one guy, but maybe not. And, you know, they they, they portray the unsolved cold case-ness of it in the way that they present the story in an ambiguous way. And that the movie does that similar thing. And I think that is what is the most horrifying about it. And what's the most unbelievable about it is that at every step of the way, this story feels like somebody who just wants to torture Christine Collins in any way that they can find. And that's what makes it feel made up and like a badly written movie because she's gaslit by the police. She goes to a psychiatric ward. She's forcibly uh, committed. She finally proves her, her innocence that she's not crazy and that this actually isn't her son. This lead comes up of like potentially he was murdered by this serial killer. But then even then, when she talks to the killer, he won't give her the closure, the satisfaction of just being like, yeah, I fucking killed him. She, even he's like fucking with her and being ambiguous and not fully wanting to be clear about things. 
And he's like, he's gaslighting her because he's like, at, at one point he's like, no, I didn't. And then he says, yes, I did. And then he says, no, I didn't again. And then he's like, oh, I'll tell you the real truth. And then she comes and sees him. And then he's like, no, fuck you. Get away from me. Nobody will give this woman closure. And it's so ridiculous and so absurd that it seems like a fictional story written. It's it's like it's like the whole fridging thing, how that trope developed in comics where people would just use women as a prop to like motivate a man with her death. And that's like fucked up because once again, it's not real. It's a fictional story. And these these writers have chosen time and time again to play upon this trope where they reduce a woman to uh, a, a non-human motivating factor in a man's story. And this feels like that. It feels like somebody who is just using a woman as like a prop for like grief porn, essentially. And I just I don't know. I can't I just can't believe that this all happened to this one woman. I can't believe that all these people systematically gaslit this woman for her entire life and that she died just like wondering what the fuck ever happened to her son. It's just so bleak. Well, my closing thoughts are similar to yours, just probably maybe a little a little more concise. I think my my closing thought is Americans hate women. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, even even the um, even like like it's funny because when when the when the little kid gets found out that he's not Walter and that he's actually Billy, whatever, um, he blames the whole thing on a, an evil stepmom. Like even 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 that gets like scapegoated to like a woman like I did this because of my evil mom. Women are terrible. And even when they're like engaging in a righteous quest to reunite with their progeny, they're crazy. Put them in a fucking institution. Yeah. And I think that I think that's what's kind of missing from that movie because that movie was made a long time ago, like 2007 or something like that. And also it was made by Clint Eastwood. Um, so there's that whole sequence at the end of the movie where Angelina Jolie just t- talks to a chair for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just talks to invisible Obama. Um, wow. What the fuck? fuck was that clint you're 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 fucking crazy uh but the you know that that i think that movie could have probably been a lot more effective if it really kind of focused on that use this whole story as kind of like a parable for just the societal violence against women in 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 america and other places as well but specifically here because it takes place in in los angeles um but i think the movie the movie doesn't really touch on that at it, it more kind of focuses on it from a perspective of like it it paints it as like the arrogance of this one man like captain jones it kind of it kind of it, it externalizes the story as like oh this one guy is just so arrogant and stubborn that he's willing to just like put this person through this torture and trauma in order to save face but i don't i don't think that's necessarily what it is it's just like this system largely catered towards men that has goals and agendas and they will exploit women as far as they can go in order to accomplish that so you know in that similar to that concept of fridging in real life in reality this woman was used as a prop to just further various agendas for the for her whole life essentially like at first it was to save face because they needed this this pr stunt and then they needed to be able to have closure on that stunt and be like see it wasn't our fault this kid was actually murdered but we found the murderer so we're good again and even then it's like how can I don't know if I can necessarily believe that the boy was abducted because maybe it's the LAPD just lying about that again. Maybe they once again use confirmation bias to just like project that he was murdered by this serial killer because they just wanted him to be. Uh, and all along the way, this woman was just kind of used as a prop to like further their agenda and cover up their corruption. It's really fucked up. I'm Dave Baker and I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com where you can find my Eisner-nominated book, Everyone is Tulip, uh, and also Fuck Off Squad, Night Hunters, Star Trek, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me reuniting with my long-lost mother who her her, her beloved 10-year-old boy went missing a year ago, but it's okay because the police found him. And they bring him to her. And it's me, a 34-year-old man. And I say, Mama, it's me, your little boy. And you can also not find me on social media because I do not use social media. But if you want to pay your respects to the dear, beloved Papa Price, you can go to his website, dapricerights.com, where you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can also go and visit us on social media. You can go to Facebook and search Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join our Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group where we talk about the show and make memes. 
You can also join our Discord, bit.ly.com slash Discord, where we also talk about the show, make memes, and talk about other things as well. You can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can get some merch, t-shirts, fanny packs, backpacks, hats, mugs with Deep Cuts uh, graphics on them by going to deepcutspod.com and clicking on the shop. Uh, and you can also get one of our uh, Mystery Treehouse tape comics. It's a nine-track album that we recorded. It's a it, it's the Napster musical as an album on a hi-fi cassette. The cassette comes with a five-page full-color comic. They are $12.99. Uh, if you go to deepcutspod.com, we have nine of them left so far. So you can still get one while we still have them in stock. We probably won't restock them for a while. So get them while they're still here. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. This episode was written by special guest writer Nick Miller. Expect more Deep Cuts episodes written by Nick and other guest writers. If you have a penchant for fascinating true stories and deep research and are interested in writing for the show, email us at andrew at boygeniusmedia.com.